Welcome to Bible Fiber, where we are encountering the textures and shades of the prophetic tapestry in a year-long study of the 12 minor prophets, one prophet each month. I'm Shelley Neese, president of the Jerusalem Connection, a Christian organization devoted to sharing the story of the people of Israel. Last week, we studied the hardest part of Amos, the oracles against the nations. Amos spent those first two chapters calling out the injustices of Israel's enemies and neighbors. But his last and longest oracle was a formal accusation on his listening audience, the people of the Northern Kingdom. Today, we are studying chapters 3, 4, and 5, the middle section of Amos, and these three chapters are a collage of literary styles, list, poems, hymns, and speeches. They connect in that they are all expressions of Yahweh's judgment against Israel and her leaders. All three chapters open with the phrase, hear this word. There's an urgency to the prophetic message and the sense that there still may be time for the people of God to repent and avert disaster. Amos uses satire, rhetorical questions, sarcasm, laments, and a dexology to expose Israel's guilt and delusional thinking, warn of her punishment, and plead for her restoration. Amos is clear that above all else, Yahweh's name must be exalted. Because of the righteousness of Yahweh, he could not accept the moral failure of Israel. At the outset of the Judgment Oracle, Amos 3.2 reminds Israel that they are chosen by God. He says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. The first time the Bible uses this phrase is when Yahweh promised Abraham a thousand years earlier that through his descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The election of Israel and the responsibilities they incur through the covenant relationship is a recurring theme in Amos. But as we know from the last two episodes, Israel is far from being a blessing or righteous example. Instead, they are an object of judgment. Amos 3 asks a series of rhetorical questions. Each question has a quality of cause and effect. They start off as mundane encounters. For example, Amos asks, do two walk together? unless they have made an appointment? And does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? The list of encounters builds up to the inevitability of an encounter between Israel and Yahweh. Yahweh is warning them that the encounter will end badly. And in this same passage, Amos also aims to establish the authority of all God's prophets, the messengers entrusted to act as the mouthpiece of God, as recipients of his revelation. Amos says, Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. 3.7 Like the other prophets, Amos is duty-bound to blast the trumpet on the walls of the city as the last warning before the arrival of the advancing army. Yahweh invites two of Israel's enemies, Philistia and Egypt, to come observe the deprivations of Samaria. Samaria was Israel's capital city, and during the reign of Jeroboam II, it was at its height of wealth and power. But the prophet Amos sees the fortifications and strongholds as the institutions of corruption and violence. The invitation of two idolatrous nations, hardly known for championing human rights, is meant to be both shaming and ironic. Amos, in his own poetic way, calls out all of Israel's wrongdoers. He first indicts the military and political leaders for storing up violence and robbery in their strongholds. 
chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He then denounces the religious leaders of Israel, specifically pointing to the coming destruction of the sanctuary in Bethel, 314. Bethel was the chief sanctuary for the northern kingdom and a center of brazen idolatry since its establishment by the evil king Jeroboam I. Lastly, Amos ridicules the opulent lifestyles of the ruling class, 315, with their seasonal properties and collections of luxury goods. Yahweh will tear down their winter homes and summer homes, and their houses inlaid with ivory will perish. Archaeologists working in the palace complex at Samaria from this period have uncovered hundreds of pieces of ivory that had once been inlaid into the furniture and walls. I'm sure you are like me and love examples of how archaeology substantiates the Bible. The next target for condemnation is the best example of Amos's quick use of biting satire. If Hosea is the bleeding heart prophet, Amos is the tongue-in-cheek prophet. He calls on the cows of Bashan to hear this word, 4-1. Who were the cows of Bashan? They were the wives of Sumerian officials. Bashan was an area in northeast Israel known for its fertile grazing land, so the cows of that area were well-fed. Here and in chapter 6, Amos paints an image of these pampered women in a drunken stupor calling on their husbands to bring them something to drink. They lounge on their couches and drink wine from bowls while they eat lambs from the flock. 6, 4 through 6. Gluttony, alcoholism, and laziness aside, Amos's real problem is that they feast in complete ignorance to the plight of the poor and hungry. Amos says they oppress the poor and they crush the needy, 4-1. They are insensitive to the rural majority who have not experienced the same growth and wealth and who lack representation in the courts while suffering under a corrupt system of debt slavery. The major sin of the cows of Bashan is their complete disconnect, or the sin of indifference. Yahweh declares that because they have not grieved over the ruin of their nation, they will be the first to go into exile. 6-6 Amos also had a message for the whole nation of Israel, who participated in empty religious ritual, but ignored ethical and moral responsibilities. Amos mockingly urges them to visit the sanctuaries at Bethel and Gilgal with their sacrifices. The references to free will offerings indicate that they practice the Levitical sacrificial system at these cult centers, even if the system was not designed for counterfeit sanctuaries. The daily occurrence of the offerings shows they were performing the ritual, religious rituals in excess. The Bible only called for them to conduct the offering once a year, but they were doing it once a day. It is a mistake to think Yahweh is condemning sacrifice altogether, the very worship practice that he designed. Recall that in Joel, the gathering at the temple in Jerusalem and the reinstatement of the temple sacrifices was key to their repentance and forgiveness. But Yahweh sees through Israel's outward religiosity. As Christians, we use the terminology faith without fruit. And with dripping sarcasm, Amos accuses them of loving the performance aspect of their sacrifices, 4-5. The implication is that they are satisfying themselves rather than seeking to worship Yahweh. In the next chapter, Yahweh does not mince words. He says, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, 5-21. 
Anthropomorphism is the attribution of human characteristics or emotions to the divine. This is an important scholarly word to know. The Hebrew biblical writers use anthropomorphism very effectively, like when they write about God's outstretched arm leading out the slaves of Egypt or how God inscribed the stone tablets with his own finger. In Amos, Yahweh rejects the rituals of the Israelites anthropomorphically. Yahweh does not smell their offerings, delight in their assemblies, or hear their songs. See 5, 21 and 22. For the rest of chapter 4, Yahweh catalogs all the recent disasters that have befallen the people of Israel. These probably all occurred before the reign of Jeroboam II. After each recollection of suffering, Yahweh cries out, Yet you did not return to me. The hardship started out as ordinary, drought, mildew, locusts, and food shortages. These experiences parallel the curses listed in Deuteronomy 28. Before the 12 tribes even entered the promised land, Yahweh warned them that they would experience drought, locusts, and food shortages if they broke their covenant obligations. Even when the afflictions piled up, the people failed to see God's hand at work. They missed every opportunity to return to him. God said, I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt, 410. To further grab their attention, he continued, I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Comparing Israel to Egypt and Sodom and Gomorrah would have shocked Amos' audience. The rejection of Yahweh and his ways by Egypt and Sodom and Gomorrah were the ultimate cautionary tales to anyone who knew Israel's long story. And yet they still did not turn their hearts to Yahweh. They remained stubbornly disobedient. Amos ends the history lesson with this chilling line, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. 4.12 The nation of Israel had pressed the self-destruct button. In chapter 5, the day of Yahweh has not yet come, but Israel is invited to picture her own funeral. Professional mourners spread from the city streets to the countryside. But unlike Tom Sawyer's attendance of his own funeral, the laments are not flattering. It seems closer to the experience of Ebenezer Scrooge peeking into the future and reading his headstone. Amos describes exactly how the nation of Israel will fall. Israel's fortified places will send out their military, but the rates of attrition will be too much to endure. Death will surround her. Only 10% of Israel will survive the onslaught, 5-3. Yahweh knows that when destruction comes, they will seek him in their false sanctuaries at Bethel, Gilgal, and even pilgrimage to the horned altar at Beersheba, but they will not find Yahweh in those places. Amos 5.17 includes a terrifying line, I will pass through the midst of you. Exodus uses the same language when the angel of death passed through the midst of the Egyptian homes, but passed over the Israelite homes. Yahweh is saying that this time, the Israelites will not be spared. After delivering Israel's funeral sermon, Yahweh reminds his people one more time that there is an alternative. Yahweh appeals to the people for repentance in this final moment. Seek the Lord and live is the refrain twice repeated, 5, 6, and 14. The Talmudic rabbis believe the whole of Amos was summarized in this one command. Yahweh singles out the religious leaders, political officials, and wealthy merchants. 
They are accused of hating justice, taking bribes, overtaxing the harvest, exploiting the poor, and then silencing anyone who criticized the abuses. We do not know exactly what kind of socioeconomic systems existed in Israel at this time. The archaeological data from the 8th century BCE does point to social inequalities in Israel. However, it's difficult for archaeology to discover the mechanism by which the strong took advantage of the weak. What they can ascertain is that those who lived inside the walls of Samaria had a much higher living standard than the rural communities living outside of the walls. Apparently, the abuses were bad enough to provoke a shepherd to leave his flocks in Judah to prophesy at the city gates of Samaria. Hosea is remembered as the prophet preaching against idolatry, but Amos was the prophet against social injustice. Every prophet made at least a side glance to the idol worship prevalent in Israel at the time. Amos does so in verse 525, naming some of Israel's counterfeit deities, and he satirically notes that Israel's graven images will be the only things they take with them into exile. Amos 5, 18-27 defines the actual day of the Lord to correct any confusion. This was not going to be a day of deliverance, but destruction. Amos uses metaphors to correct their false confidence. Amos says the day of the Lord will come like someone who is fleeing a lion but runs into a bear, or someone who hides in a house but is bit by a snake, 519. God's love for Israel is protective, but they must understand that Yahweh is the power source behind Israel's coming punishment. Israel had mistaken the military strength and economic growth of the country under Jeroboam II as a sign of Yahweh's blessing. Her election felt like automatic protection, and the book of Amos reminds Israel that they are indeed the family chosen by God, with emphasis on the family part, but he does not want them to think this gives them a get-out-of-jail-free card. Just as a father has a right to expect obedience from his children— Yahweh's right was to punish the people for their rebellion. But like a father, Yahweh grieves the loss and longs for the restoration of a righteous remnant that can begin the nation anew. He does not take delight in her fall, but longs for reconciliation. Amos 5.14 is worth quoting in full. Seek good and not evil that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you just as you have said. There's no better way to end here than with the climatic verse of the whole second section, Yahweh's clarion call for a better future. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. A few Sundays ago, I was visiting with my pastor and his wife after the end of a church service. The pastor got a call from a man in need, a believer that he knew had fallen on challenging times. The man was behind on his electric bill, and he was at home sitting in the dark. The pastor and another congregate pulled together the cash in their wallets and went to the man's house. I know my pastor spent the rest of the afternoon helping the man with the immediate needs in front of him. Comparing religious life in 8th century BCE Israel to a Christian experience in 2021 is apples and oranges. I'm aware. But maybe the prophet Amos would have seen this as justice rolling down like water. Our gathering at church on Sunday for worship and a sermon is our form of sacrificial worship, righteous by design, but with the potential of becoming empty ritual. 
Had the pastor ignored the needy at the city gate and instead gone to lunch with other congregants, he would have been jumping in the camp with the cows of Bashan. Instead, in one small way for one person, he opened the dam for righteousness to flow like an ever-flowing stream. I want to stay swimming in that stream. Be sure to read Amos 6-9 through for next week as part of our Bible reading challenge. We'll get into the visions of Amos. Thank you for listening. Bible Fiber is available on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Reach out to me as the Lord is speaking to you through the scriptures. I would love to hear what you are learning. Shabbat Shalom.